0: What is the church? What should it look like? And what has it been called to do? In this series on the foundation and future of Cornerstone, we answer these questions and seek to carve out a biblical path forward for being the church in Southampton Roads. The following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. Colossians chapter one. It's page number nine eighty three. If you're using the Bible in front of you, there. Colossians chapter one. While you're turning, I want to make something very clear right here at the very beginning, and that is that the next words out of my mouth have absolutely nothing to do with the rest of the sermon. Okay, nothing whatsoever. I just saw something funny this week that uh, I want to share with you, just because I can. That's my. That's one of my privileges of being me here. So. Uh, you know how in uh, uh, recent years, particularly, it seems like stores are going into greater to greater and greater lengths to get us to the next holiday before we're even there? So weeks and even months in advance, you start seeing things for different stores. I, I'm used to that at Walmart. I'm used to that at Target, but I'm not used to that at Kohl's which maybe just indicates that I don't go there enough, maybe they're just as bad as everybody else, I don't know, but, but I was uh, there this week and I saw something that makes, made me laugh, so I wanted to show it to you. So apparently, since um, Easter is coming up, oh wait, I'm being told one second, you can't ruin it right now, tell me when, pause, awkward, now, keep talking, oh, thank you for being here today, if you're visiting, I'm glad that you came today, it was an important day to come now. I don't have any jokes. Everybody knows that. This is my only joke. My goodness, we're going to fire some people and get some new... Uh, Jordan, is at this point in Jordan. Oh, well, that would change things. Well, never mind. I tell you what we'll do. We're going to read the scriptures and hold our joke for a moment and see if he can get up. It's under your webmaster account, just so you know. You're in Colossians 1. I'll come back to my joke. Wow, that's awkward. Colossians 1... Verses 24 to 29. Let's read those verses. We'll pray, and maybe by that point they'll be ready here. Paul writes this He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, we are at a very important moment in this new series that we're in here as We are trying to understand who we are as a church and then where that will take us. And so, while we hesitate to indicate that some messages are more important than others, or certainly that some passages of Scripture are more more important than others, for us today, Lord, this is a very, very important time. And so, I pray, Lord, that as we go through your word today, that your word will be crystal clear in each and every heart that you will help me to present it clearly that you will give me the energy i need to accurately teach your word and that through your spirit every person listening today whether they're a part of cornerstone or not they will understand what it means to be a follower of jesus particularly with other followers of jesus and so through this lord our desire our goal our hope is that you will make our hearts one in our direction, that you will make us one as we push forward to try to reach this area and the whole world with the gospel because we know that that is what we are here. We are your body on earth. Please help us to understand what that means this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now my joke's ready. All right, now it's all ruined, but here I'll show it to you anyway. I'm in Kohl's, right? And I'm, I'm walking around and I see a picture that made me laugh with Easter coming up. It's this one. They apparently hired a Jesus impersonator to start modeling men's clothing, and if you can't see it really well, here you go. See, <laughs> isn't that weird? <laughs> now, just for the record, just to make sure it's clear on this point here. You're gonna have to skip all my uh, my uh, stuff. You hope you did that already, just to make it clear. Jesus didn't look like this, okay? He was not a tall, gaunt, white man. Uh, he was a probably a shorter Jewish man, and. He was a carpenter, for goodness sake, for 30 years with no power tools. So I have a feeling he was a, he was a big guy. But anyway, I just saw this this week, and I got cracked up. So I'm like, I'm going to show everybody else. Yeah. All right, I'll bring it back to that. Today is uh, part three of our Foundation and Future of Cornerstone series. When I said a moment ago in my prayer, and when I said, uh, I think even at the beginning when I was awkwardly trying to fill time, that uh, today is an important message, I really sincerely meant it. Today is an incredibly important message. If you're not... Weren't here in the prior two weeks or you've missed something, let me make sure that you're up to speed with what's happening here. We are in the process of trying to lay out for all of us together as a church family who we are and where we're going. We want to lay a good foundation, and we want to, to set a path for the future that will, that will guide us for years to come here. And so what we've been working on in the series so far, we've only had two messages. This is message number three, is laying the foundation. We're trying to, to build something solid so that we all understand who we are and what we're doing the same way. And so two weeks ago, I introduced the series to you by telling you a very long story, but it, it wasn't just for story's sake. I was trying to give you an idea of kind of where we've come over the years where we, where we were five years ago, where we were three years ago, et cetera, and our thinking and our understanding and our, our trying to recognize what the future was for Cornerstone and what that meant. And then I, I laid the very first foundation stone of our, our current understanding that we're trying to give to you, and that is that Jesus is the head of the church. We were there in Colossians 1, just in a, a few verses prior to this. We wanted to understand that since Jesus is the head of the church, he owns this thing and he gets to determine what we are, who we are, how we understand ourselves and what we're going to do into the future. And if you don't know why that was such a critical piece, let me just make it clear It's because it's not simply up to us to come up with a good idea that we all like, which is unfortunately not to, I don't have any specific church in mind, but unfortunately that's how many churches act. And function they just come up with something that they think is good for them to be doing and then they they dive headfirst into that And well i'm glad that they've got something to do i'm i'm thankful for that part i want to make it very clear to us that this series isn't built simply out of our own opinions and our own personal preferences about what we would like to be doing or what we would like to see ourselves as if jesus is the head of the church he owns it he gets to set the direction for everything else okay Last week, I was gone. Chris very kindly filled in for me. Thank you, Chris. Chris wanted us to understand that, okay, since we now know that Jesus is the head of the church, what's the church? What, What is this thing of which he is the head? And so he tried to explain to you some things that it is not, because the things that it is not are just as important to understand as the thing that it is. And so he made sure that you hear from us very clearly, plainly, up front, that it is not a building. Okay, we're in this new place. We're still kind of excited about it. It's kind of the honeymoon phase of our, of our existence here. But this was not the culmination of what uh, Cornerstone was all about. In fact, it has nothing to do with what Cornerstone is all about. No church does. And so when we talk about we're going to do things at church, and I still catch myself saying those words in that way, and i I'm like, yeah, okay, can I stop? But I about we're going to go to church. We're going to do this thing at church. It, that's wrong. I know what I mean by it, but it's wrong. It's not... This isn't the church. This is just mortar and and drywall and wood and, and metal framing and nails. This is all it is. It's just a building. So when you think about what Jesus is the head of, it's not this building. He's not on the mortgage, okay? So it's not, this isn't it. Number two, it's not simply a service. We don't attend church. So you are not at church right now. That might confuse you. You didn't get up this morning to get ready for church. Again, we use that terminology, and I know what we mean by it, but it's wrong. It's not a service, and so just because you come to a service doesn't make you a part of a church any more than going to Sam's Club makes you a five pound can of tuna. It's not. It's not the same thing. And then number three, it's not a tradition. It's not a Sunday tradition. And I'll hear people say to me, "Well, we just really feel like we should be in church." Well, there's a lot of things you might feel like you should do. You feel like you should have turkey at Thanksgiving, but that's just tradition. You can have. Jamie family has lasagna on Christmas, and I'm like, why? That's not a Christmassy dish, but to them it is, all right? So they should have lasagna at Christmas. Well, this isn't merely a tradition we go through just because we've always done it or our parents did it or because of the American dream and all of that uh, is envisioned in that statement that this is what church is. And so if your view of church is even subtly um, tinged by these concepts, by these ideas, Chris was trying to call you to something bigger. That church isn't a building, it's not a service, and it's not merely a tradition. That the church is the people of God that Jesus is building through his spirit around the gospel. That being a part of a church is being a part of a family, a community, an assembly that Christ is building here. And so we want you to get that because when we talk about you being a part of the church, what we don't mean is that you show up today. If this is all you do, then the question is, are you really part of the church? Or our church You might be part of another church because you're visiting from somewhere. That's great. What what does it mean to you when you think about the church? Now you know what it means to us. It's more than just this. This is just the the visible expression when we all get together. To us, it's much more. Today, we're going to get to the third piece of this foundation, the third layer. Today, we're going to talk about what the purpose of our church is. And this was what I told you a couple weeks ago when I was going through that story was, was at the forefront of our mind back in 2008. Remember, I showed you that picture from our notes of that was the first item of discussion. What is our purpose? What is, where do we want to be three, five, 10, 15, 25 years from now? And so we tried to identify a purpose and we did. We came up with that, you know, four bullet point thing. And I said it was very embarrassing because it didn't really, it didn't do anything for us it didn't help us. And we found ourselves very shortly after that exercise, still trying to figure out who we are. What are we supposed to be doing? What does it mean to be the church, the body of Jesus on earth? What is, what is our purpose together? And so about two years, as I told you the story, I'm just going to rehash this one little part. We worked on this and we talked about it and we wrestled through it. And, and as I said, everything was kind of like swirling. It was All these ideas, all these weird diagrams and concepts and thoughts, and we never could find something that would bring them all together. Something that would put it together in a nice, simple, easy way for us to understand that would give us purpose and drive us into the future, something that would force us to go somewhere, not simply describe who we are. We wanted more than a description. We wanted something to guide us and, and drive us, and it wasn't there, and we kept fighting and fighting. Couldn't couldn't come up with anything, not fighting eternally, just fighting in our own minds and hearts. And it was along, uh, somewhere in that path, that we started preaching through the book of Colossians, studying through that together. And we were there in chapter one and it, it came, it happened. And that's why I've asked you to turn to this passage that you're in right here. Uh, we're going to look particularly at verses 28 and 29 this morning. And when I first came to those verses back in 2010, I was totally, totally focused on the first three words of verse 28, Him we proclaim, because I normally, when I'm preaching through a book, I try to do a kind of a big picture overview of the first, first uh pass through it, and I pick out certain things that look like they're going to be big themes to cover, and then as I come back and study it more in depth, I normally build on those themes. So when I had gone through that first pass through Colossians 1, I saw those words, Him we proclaim, and I said, that's it, that's the, that's the theme we're going to build on in those verses about proclaiming Jesus, making Jesus the central piece of our, our proclamation, of our message, of, our, of who we are, and that is certainly true. However, when I dug down into those verses, I began to realize they were about much, much more than I had originally envisioned, and so the complete theme and and focus of that message changed to reflect what was happening in those verses. In verses 28 and 29, Paul is effectively giving us his own personal ministry statement. And you need to listen to that comment very, very carefully, and I'm going to explain it Paul is giving us his own personal ministry statement. In other words, he's not giving us his his professional ministry statement. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's been sent out by our Lord to do certain things. And so as such, he has certain responsibilities, certain goals, certain, certain things to do. What I think he's giving us in verses 28 and 29 is not his professional ministry statement, but his personal ministry statement, simply as a believer in Jesus Christ. And if I'm right about that, and I obviously believe I am, but if I'm right about that, then this statement has equal application for every single one of us individually in this room and then corporately as a church family. It gives us what we should be doing and how we should be understanding our ministry regardless of our job. Regardless of what you get paid to do, here's your ministry, here's what it's supposed to be. And so this is what we use. This is what God used to show us what our purpose as a church was. I want you to see it like we did. And so I want to show you four things this morning that should convict and motivate us as we think about what our purpose as a church is. We're going to work through these two verses. Number one, let's look at the content of our ministry the content of our ministry. And here's where those first three words of verse 28 come into play. They are important words. Paul says, him we proclaim. And if you look back at verse 27, you'll see who the hymn was. The hymn was talking about Jesus. So we're going to proclaim Jesus. You understand one word. What does the word proclaim mean? Well, it simply means to announce, to announce something, to proclaim or to preach it. But my fear in using the word preach here is that when you hear preach, who do you think of? You think of me. But that's not really the right understanding that you should take away from this because it just means to announce in any setting. So I can announce it to one person in a private conversation or I can announce it to a hundred or to a thousand. I can announce it in a, a very, you know, I can announce it in the car while I'm driving around with somebody or I can announce it in a very formalized, structured setting, something like this. Ultimately, as ministers of Jesus Christ, every single one of us are to be announcers, proclaimers of truth. And what truth is it that we are supposed to be proclaiming? I love that Paul keeps it so incredibly simple. The message is only Jesus. That's it. That's the only message he has. So whether he's proclaiming truth to the intellectuals on Mars Hill there in Athens, or whether he's talking to illiterate prisoners in a Roman jail... It doesn't matter who they are, how many of them there are, or what the setting is. His message is always and only Jesus. And you say, well, Stacey, that <clears throat> I understand that, and that sounds good, but that's not exactly true, because as I read the New Testament, I see that he talks about more things than just Jesus. And I'm like, really? Wh- like what? Well, like marriage. Yeah, he talks about marriage, but he says, husbands, love your wives as how? Christ loved the church. Gave himself for her. He brings our understanding of marriage back to Jesus. Like, what about parenting? Well, he tells us to fathers don't provoke your children to anger, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of who? The Lord. So he brings us back to Jesus. He talks about forgiving one another when he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How? As God in Christ Jesus forgave you, he talks about giving. In what way? Well, he says it's because we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor so that we by his poverty might become rich. The fact of the matter is, as you look through the teachings of the New Testament, every single truth comes back to who? I could go ask that in the children's church class and they would all in unison go, Jesus. And you guys are like, what? He always brings it back to Jesus. That's his truth. That's his one message that he is constantly announcing to everyone. And that is why it is Christ that we proclaim. And here's what that means for us. Practically, it means that in our private conversations with one another and with those outside of Cornerstone, we don't need to be talking to each other about God. And I know that might sound weird to you at first glance or first hearing, but I am telling you, people don't need to hear about God. They know about God. Romans 1, Paul in Romans 1 tells us that what may be known about God is evident to them because God has made it evident to them. What they need to hear about is Jesus. Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. So you can talk to them about God all day long, and they might know quite a few things about God. But if they don't know Jesus, they don't get to him. What we need to be doing is talking to people about Jesus, focusing our messages on Jesus, focusing our conversations on Jesus, because he is who they need. Here's another quick little application from this, that when you have the opportunity to talk with people, believers, unbelievers, it doesn't matter, when you have the opportunity to talk with people about things they're going through, problems they're they're facing, uh, things they're fighting against in their own personal life, guess what they don't need? They don't need your wisdom and experience. You have none to give them that's of any value. What do they need? They need Jesus. Because what is the only help an addict will ever have in this world? Is it 12 steps? No, it's not 12 steps. It's Jesus. They need to be changed from the inside out. What, what is going to mend a broken marriage? It's not going to be just some, some good exercises in a weekend retreat. It's gonna be Jesus who's gonna fix that marriage from the inside out. They need Christ. They need to hear how Christ and what he did for them on the cross impacts their life and their situation. They need to know what Christ has done for them and what he can do in them. They need jesus and so whether you're uh in professional ministry or or not see it doesn't matter that's what i'm saying to you it's not about his professional ministry it's about our personal ministry as a follower of jesus our message is always and only christ and so when we look at what the content of cornerstones ministry should be in every sense of the word individually corporately back there in here out there it doesn't matter the content is always and only jesus number two let's look at the means of ministry. Means of ministry. And this one is a pretty quick one overall, so I think we can do this fast. You see that ministry involves proclamation of a message, right? See that first three words. We're not simply here to do nice things for people. We're not here to simply take care of their physical needs. We're here to proclaim a message, a truth about a person whose his name is Jesus, okay? The means by which that is carried out is laid out then in the next part of verse 28. Paul says that the proclamation is done through warning and teaching with all wisdom. Okay, so these two words here kind of act like bookends on the shelf of what proclamation is. As you think about how to go about doing this, the means in which you're going to carry out this proclamation, think about these two things. On the one hand, you have warning. And warning is uh, kind of a negative term, not, not a bad one. Just it has to do with correcting things that are wrong. So when you look at someone's life and you see something that's not what it should be, you're going to warn them. You're going to rebuke them. You're going to call them to change. And when you think about the, the ministry that we as believers are called to both, again, individually and corporately, a lot of our ministry is spent calling people to change. Stop sinning. Stop giving yourself to these things. Stop living for these things that are of no value or of, of minimal value. Live for something much greater. You're calling them to make changes in their lives because you see things that are wrong. This is what, what evangelism is, really, if you think about it. It's going to them and saying, "Don't you see that that you're in sin, that that God you're 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 offending God, you're you're sinning against him, you're injuring him. You need to change." You need to accept Christ so that these things can stop and you can be placed in a right relationship with God. So as we go about our our lives, as we go about our ministries, individually, corporately, we have to be telling people truth. Truth aimed to correct that which is wrong. That's that's warning. On the other end, you've got teaching. Teaching. Teaching is instruction in any and every area of life. It's kind of more the positive uh, concept here. And that it has to do with telling people the right way to go. And so I'm going to you and I'm saying, look, you need to understand this. You need to think this way. You need to do these things. You need to live like this. And that's kind of what's happening right now. Actually, proclamation always involves both, if you think about it calling people to change that which is wrong, instructing them in how to go on the right path. As we go about our ministry here at Cornerstone in each in, in every sense of, of which we are involved in ministry, our proclamation has to be made up of, of these two things. But notice they're both with all wisdom, meaning we're not gunslingers of truth. I don't just walk in and be like, true, 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 just fall where they may. The, the goal of what we're trying to do is to is to apply the word of Jesus, to apply, apply the, the, the gospel to people in their lives with skill, with wisdom, so that they will be changed. I'm not trying to injure people with the cross. I'm trying to help them with the cross. There's a big difference in those two. And so Paul adds this little phrase here, and I think it's a good one to add, that whatever we're doing, we need to be warning and teaching with all wisdom. And you're parenting. What? What's your goal as a parent? We talked about parenting, what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago now? And I didn't ask this question, but just wanted to ask, particularly in light of these verses, what what is it you're trying to do with your kids? When you warn them of things, are you simply warning them so that they don't grow up to be, you know, serial killers? <laughs> is that your only goal, that you're trying to stop them from going the wrong direction? I hope that's not your only goal, though I do hope your children do not grow up to be serial killers. Um, I hope... That the reason you warn your children is because you want them to be more like Jesus. And that as you warn them, you don't warn them simply with the consequences of the things they're doing bad, but you warn them even through the message of the gospel through jesus when you teach them why do you teach them the things you do you see you can ask these questions with all these same things whether you're talking about your workplace parenting marriage it doesn't matter christ is the content of our ministry proclamation which is made up of both warning and teaching with all wisdom is the means of our ministry number three let's talk about the purpose of ministry and this of course is the big one this is where everything really came together for us as you come to the end of verse 28 Paul gives us the goal of his personal ministry, and it is audacious to say the least. I mean, as you look at it, he writes here that he is proclaiming Christ through warning and teaching so that he can present everyone mature in Christ. That's his goal. He wants to present everyone mature in Christ. And I want us to think about what that means very deeply here just for a few moments. Number one, think about the scope of this goal he says here that he wants to present everyone mature in Christ. And literally in the Greek, it's every one. It's two words. Every individual, every person, every man, every human. It's Everyone, not just everyone. He's not really being generic when he says this. He's actually being quite specific. And he is so, so intent on this idea that he actually says it three times here in verse 28. Notice, he warns everyone, he teaches everyone. Why? So that he can present everyone mature in Christ. Some commentators think that he's just talking about every Christian, but I don't I don't think that's the case because if he was just talking about every Christian, he would have said every brother or every believer. He, there's all kinds of different ways he could have said it if he was only thinking about one specific group of people, but he doesn't he doesn't limit it at all. In fact, he goes as broad as possible. He wants to present everyone as being mature in Christ. And what this does for us is it gives us both individually and corporately a wonderful example of how we should balance our understanding of God's sovereign grace and salvation with the way we minister. You see, nobody understands the the doctrine of election like Paul. Nobody. Paul knows that not everyone will be saved. Paul knows that hell is real and that men and women will reject Jesus, and as a result, will go there. And yet... That knowledge does not alter or hinder his desire to warn and teach everyone so that everyone can be made mature in Christ. It would be one thing you see if, if you know, we got special decoder glasses in the back of our, Bi- our Bibles. You know, you just peel back the last page and there they are. You, you, they're perforated. You pull them out. You put them on. They got red lenses. And you could walk around the store and you could look at people's foreheads and figure out whether they're going to accept Jesus or not. That'd be great because then we could be very focused in our our ministry efforts and we could not waste our time with this or that or the other. God didn't give us that ability. That doesn't come standard issue in our Bibles. What he has given us is a responsibility, a calling, a, a, a mission to go and preach Christ to everyone, to warn everyone, to teach everyone literally so that we, in all of our efforts at least, can try to present everyone mature in Jesus. That's why I say to you that it is audacious, because it's way bigger than one man. I mean, Paul, as he's writing this, must be in the back of his mind going, I'm never even going to meet everyone. This is kind of funny I'm putting this down, but that's what I'm going to put. It's his goal. He knows he's never going to accomplish it, but he does it anyway. That's the scope. Also, number two there, notice the nature of this uh, particular goal here. He says that he wants to make people mature in Jesus. That's his goal. He's warning, he's teaching, he's proclaiming with all this wisdom. He's focused on Jesus because he wants to make sure everyone is mature in Christ. What does that exactly mean? Well, it basically means that he wants to make them complete or complete perfect and you're like that doesn't really help some of your translations say perfect which i actually like that word but what will really help you i think is if you stop and you look through the new testament at every single time this word is used in reference to believers but what it means for them to be mature i did this and here's just a few examples of what i found someone who is mature is going to be willing to sacrifice all to follow christ matthew chapter 19 verse 21 they're, they're going to understand that Jesus is the most valuable thing to them, and so they're, gonna, they're willing to leave everything else behind because they're mature. Someone who is mature will be focused on the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, Philippians 3.15. Someone who is mature will know and do the will of God, Colossians 4.12. Someone who is mature will be able to handle the solid food of the word of God, Hebrews 5. Someone who is mature will be characterized by patience, James 1. I could keep going because there are a lot more of these, but I will not. If, if I had to summarize everything the New Testament says about what it means to be mature as a believer into just one sentence, and if I had to pick just one passage of Scripture that would, would best show you that that sentence is correct, here's what I would give you. For the sentence, I would say this, that in order for us to be mature in Christ, it means we're going to look like Christ. That's That's your sentence. That's your understanding of the word mature. People who are mature in Christ, they look like him. They talk like him. They think like him. They live like him. They become Christ-like. And if I were to give you a passage that would make sure that this is a, an accurate definition, I would give you Ephesians chapter 4, which I won't ask you to turn there. I'll put it on the screen, verses 11 to 13. In, in this passage, one we've turned to uh, multiple times now. In fact, just most recently when we were installing Chris as an elder, you see Paul begin to explain how it is that the church is supposed to function. And in these two verses, which is normally what we focus on when we've come to them, you see why he gives these positions of leadership to the church. He says that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. And we normally stop right there. Because when I we did Chris's installation, I said, okay, so here's... Here's why you have elders, shepherds, pastors in the church. They're there to shepherd. They're there to teach. They're there to equip. Remember that, hopefully? And we stop. But, But why are they here to do this? And when does that job end? Well, thankfully, the next verse answers those questions. They are to be doing these things until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, the ministry that happens within the church, that the church is supposed to be about, is supposed to be leading us to Christ-likeness. You want to know when you're mature? It's when you've measured up to the fullness of the stature of Jesus. When you reach that, that level up there, then we're done until then, we're not done. Until we hit that, we're still involved in ministry. And so I see in this an affirmation of what I just showed you with that sentence that that to be mature in Christ is to be like him. So when Paul says to us that, that he is there to, his goal in ministry is to make people mature in Christ, what he's really saying is, I want a whole bunch of other people to look like Jesus. That's, that's what I'm doing. Now, this is huge for our understanding of our purpose here at Cornerstone because as ministers of Jesus, then, our aim in ministry is not simply to help them. They will be helped, I think, by our ministry. At least I hope they will be. But the goal of our ministry is to take men, women, children, everyone, and make them mature in Christ, make them look like Jesus. And so we ask ourselves some questions now. So why back in those rooms back there are we teaching kids Bible verses? Just because that's what's good to do with kids and on Sunday mornings? Is it just a tradition thing for us? It could be. Maybe with some of you in this room as you've taught in those settings, you've never thought of it really any deeper than what you were just doing at the moment. But ultimately, I'm telling you that the reason we should be doing that back there is because we want our children to grow up to be like Jesus. There's a deeper purpose. Why do we bring our families to to community groups during the week? I mean, there's so many other things you could do with your time. Why, Why do we make such a big deal out of that? It's because we believe and we hope that through those relationships and through the things that are happening within that community group, you, your spouse, your kids, whatever, you're going to start to look more like Jesus. That's, that's our goal. Why do we offer a nursery during the service? Just because we don't like loud babies? Is that the only reason we have for this? I hope not. Our real reason should be to make sure that you can be as undistracted as possible so that you can hear truth and through that truth be turned to be more like Jesus. And why do we share the gospel? It's because we want more people to look like Jesus. See, everything comes back to this, and everything we do, our purpose, as was Paul's, is to present everyone mature in Christ. We want them to be like Jesus. And then finally, notice the mindset of ministry. I mean, how do you understand all that and think that through? Well, in verse 29, Paul writes this, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul isn't revealing to us here how hard he works though he certainly works hard. I mean, just look at the words he uses. He toils. He struggles. Ministry is hard. If you you currently think that ministry is easy, then I'm pretty sure I can say to you, you're not ministering then. If ministry is anything other than hard, you're failing somewhere. Ministry is hard. Not talking about what I do, What we do as a group, as believers in Jesus, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to not come at opportune moments. It's going to be messy. There's going to be problems. There's going to be hurt. Ministry is hard, but that is not what Paul is drawing our attention to here. Notice who he gives the credit to for his toil and struggle. He gives it it to God. And so he writes here that I toil, I struggle with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. So that even in this moment, Paul's saying, look, all the stuff I'm doing, it's not my own. All the stuff I'm doing, my ability to labor and ministry, even that is coming from God. Look, God is sovereign. We have already said that. But for some reason in his plan, he has chosen to work out his plans for this world through us. And yet when I think about that fact, I don't get any credit for it. We get no credit for the ministry we do because who who enables that? Who empowers that ministry within us? We see here is actually Jesus. He's doing this in us. And so we can work hard and we should work hard. We can call one another to do hard things, big things, amazing things, difficult things, fun things. It doesn't really matter. We can work with all of the energy in us as long as we understand that it's God who empowers and makes those things possible. And so by the time we got done looking at these four things here in these two verses, our purpose all of a sudden became crystal clear. Our purpose is to work with all of the energy that God gives us to proclaim Christ to everyone so that we can present everyone to God perfect in Jesus Christ. That's our purpose as a church. That's our purpose as believers. Don't If you walk out of here today and you simply think, well, great, now I know what Cornerstone's purpose is, I will have failed miserably. I am saying to you that I believe that this statement here, because it's directly taken from those two verses, reflects the purpose of each and every believer in Jesus Christ, regardless of what your job is. Is that clear? This is all of our responsibility this is our purpose as a church and and i like this purpose for a number of reasons i'll give you three just because i can one i like it because it's biblical and i hope that's kind of the obvious one as i say that but i recognize that unless you've spent some time looking at other church purpose statements in the past you may not appreciate even that comment but as i have spent five years now looking at other churches i always check if i'm at a church website i'm gonna look what's their purpose Do they even list it? If they do, what is it? I have been struck by how many times the purpose statement of a a particular church uh, I've looked at online, their purpose has sounded more like a business than a a ministry. And and look, if you know me, you know I'm the, I I love using business concepts in ministry. I think the business world has figured things out way better than the church has ever given time to in, in a lot of things. But at the same time, as I say that, I recognize something very important. We're not a business. We're not in it for profit. There, there's, no, there's no sense in which we operate really like a business when you get down to the core of who we are. We are the body of Jesus on earth. That's who we are, not a, not a business. Yet I see churches who write their purpose statements as if they are a business. Well, guess what? If you want to do it that way, you'll probably accomplish what you wanted, but I don't think you will have honored the scriptures in the in the process. And we can't stand up here from the front and say to you the scriptures are important. The scriptures are sufficient. That's what you need to focus on and then turn around and just pick what we want for our purpose together. No, that doesn't that doesn't work. And so when I say to you that I like this statement because it's biblical, I'm saying it because, well, it's true, but because we want to root everything, everything back in God's word. Second, I like this because it recognizes the unfinishable nature of ministry. And that 's important, see ministry will never be complete until we 've all achieved christ's likeness ephesians four thirteen well since that 's not happening anytime soon, um, I think we 've got a while to go, and we have to recognize that ministry will always be like this I mean even if you've got a group of the most godly pastors, the wisest most the best trained, the I mean, everything that you could say about these guys, they were the best of the best. And you put them in a church with the most humble people, the hungriest people, the ones who wanted to be the most like Jesus. You put them all together, give them 100 years to, to serve and grow together. At the end of the time, the work still wouldn't be done. It wouldn't. Ministry is, by necessity, unfinishable. And the problem with too many other churches that I've seen, their, their purpose statements is they pick statements that are doable. Well, we want to to achieve this thing, or we want to do this or focus on this. Well, you can do it. But that doesn't reflect what ministry and and this world we live in is really like. Number three, I really like this statement, because it forces us to focus on Jesus alone. And, And again, looking at others, I would make this comment that there are way too many churches out there that are focused on a man, on a personality or they're focused on a function, something they do. Well, that's good and all, perhaps, until that man dies or leaves. That's good and all until the function that they are centered around ceases to have importance or be able to be of any use to themselves or others. What happens then? Well, the church falls apart. As we think about our purpose and the desire to guide us into the future, we need something that is bigger than ourselves, something that will take us years down the road and is not dependent on any person in this room. It was rather dependent on Jesus. This was the statement that laid out our purpose clearly for us, and we believe that this is the statement that will guide us into the future. Why do we do the things we do, and why will we pursue the things we'll pursue? Everything has to get run through this grid everything. Even the smallest detail of Cornerstone has to run through this grid going forward. And so why do we sing the songs that we sing? Well, if they don't help us be more like Jesus, is there any point in singing them? Why do we run a certain thing the way we run it? Is it they're really trying to intentionally push people to be like Christ? If it's not, then we either need to change it or get rid of it. There's nothing sacred in this except for the scriptures and Jesus. All this other stuff is just it's just ours. That's what I mean when I say everything has to go through this grid. We have to, we have to, as a body, be thinking about these things. But I hope that you individually will think about these things as well, that you will run the decisions you make through this grid as well. So why are you making the choices you're making in, in your personal life? Is it so that you can proclaim Christ to more people? Because you have a, a desire to make more people like Jesus? That you have a desire to partner with others who are doing the same You can't live your life separate from this if in fact, if in fact, these verses are what I think they are. Paul is not simply giving us his purpose as an apostle. Rather, he is giving us what he thinks the purpose of other believers is as well. And so this statement has great value for all of us. What we need here at Cornerstone are people who begin to see ministry as being the most important things in their life. I hope that's how the Lord is working in you, but if not, I'm, I'm, I'm praying that God will raise up a group of people in this room, and some we don't have met yet, who will see ministry as being the most important thing in their life, that they will recognize that they are on a mission that has been given to them by God himself, that they are here to help other people be more like Jesus, not simply to live the American dream. I am, I am most concerned about that. And so as I give you this purpose statement for us as a church, I ask that you adopt it as your own and that together, both individually and corporately, we begin to live this way as a people. Let's pray. Jesus, this message of mine is of no value, but the truths in these verses are of supreme value to us. The fact of the matter is, is that you have left us here for a reason. We are not simply a club that gets together once a week. We are more than that. We are your people. And so we need to begin thinking of ourselves as ministers. We need to begin seeing ourselves as having a much greater purpose than than perhaps what we have before. We need to run everything we do and think through this grid because ultimately your desire is to raise up a people that looks like you. And so you have built this church and are continuing to build this church and others to do that very thing, to call people to yourself and to make them like you by the preaching of Christ. And so, Jesus, will you, through your spirit, help each and every person in this room who's listening to these words today? Will you convince them that this is what the church is supposed to be? Will you help them to see that this is what church is all about? Not about all the trappings that are normally attached to it, but this is it. It's about ministry. It's about mission. It's about being the body of Christ on earth and being a part of your plan to redeem a people for yourself. We get to play a part. And so, Lord, will you raise up a group within this room who sees this as their purpose and they live it out in every aspect of life? Thank you, Jesus, for our time together in your word. Apply it to us now, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.